Welcome to The Hot Dish. We've got a great show about Thanksgiving, and it brings up a lot of memories about growing up in a house that had how many square feet and not a lot of, not a lot of space and not a big kitchen, but somehow my mother figured out how to cook a meal for 30 people and serve it. Of course, then they, she had five daughters who worked really, really hard, and then one son who's what the most thing that it worked was his jaw, either eating or talking. And that was his name, Joel Eichamp. So Joel, welcome to The Hot Dish. It's great to have you as a co-host and happy Thanksgiving. 1,200 square feet, five sisters, one brother. And I got to tell you, I slept in the laundry room. And that isn't, <laughs> that isn't even teasing. I mean, the, and she says that I didn't do dishes. Well, I tell you what, I did plenty of laundry. Uh, because oh, I heard no, that is not true. I heard the that machine is going. Not true. <laughs> how many? How many people out there listening to the to the Hot Dish podcast know what a sud saver is? Huh? <laughs> I'll bet. I'll bet you out of all the people that that are hopping on with us to take a listen. I'll bet you probably five percent know what a sud yeah. saver is. Well, and, and think about this: you have a you have a family of nine people and a very small septic tank. So my mother used to run the wash water into the ditch in the backyard. I don't think you'd get by with that anywhere, Joel. Well, it depends on if they catch you. But here's here's the other part. You know, the septic system with all of you girls couldn't take it anymore. I think oh, you guys showered it. like Just twice a day or something Just like that. Just quit it. Just quit it. And for everybody who has a spare minute and can stream um, a great show, Joel does a great Thanksgiving show um, with a friend of ours who grew up in, what, 18 kids, Joel? Steve Tomac? Yeah, he's one of one of 18. And he comes on and talks about uh, being raised in a basically a two-bedroom house with that many kids. And it's it's delightful. So tune in to KFGO. The Mighty 790, you can get it on any place where you can stream radio stations, and it'll be well worth your time. Um, but today, we're going to talk about the hot dish, Joel, not your program, and we have a great program for you. As most of you start working on getting those turkeys in your oven, we're going to be talking to Eddie Oliver, who's the executive director of the Federation of Virginia Food Bank, about their work to feed Virginians and how you can make Thanksgiving more joyful for someone else. You know, and if you're stressed out about hosting your family this year, imagine what it was like for Robert Kluver. He hosted the president of the United States on his farm earlier this month. I'll bring you that conversation next. But first, Heidi, I got a joke for you. You ready? Yeah. Don't There's say it like game. that. You can, got, can, say can, it can like you, you're excited for one of my jokes. Or, this is a family-oriented podcast, Joel. Well, this is a joke from my granddaughter. Oh, wait, no. that still doesn't fit. <laughs> that, that doesn't necessarily ensure what you're looking for. But wait, why do turkeys make terrible baseball players? I don't know, Joel. Why do turkeys make terrible baseball players? Because they only hit foul balls. But <laughs> right? That's straight from Lola, uh, you know, the family comedian. When I when I hear that, I swear I didn't know turkeys couldn't fly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the we're probably the, of television. We're probably the only ones uh, old enough to know WKRP. <laughs> oh, I bet you there's plenty of people listening who who know that line. I swear, yeah. I didn't know. No. Uh, did, didn't he say <laughs> the horror, the humanity? It was the horror. Yeah. Didn't he say, "As God is my witness." 
I didn't know turkeys could fly. <laughs> he could not fly. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. A, you know, it's a great show. Anyway. So um, I have to ask you a question. You ready? Yep. So, like I said, we had a 1,200-square-foot home that we grew up in. You know, no basement you could go into other than to get the wood fire stoked up. So one bathroom, right? Why is it we always hosted the holidays versus our cousins? <laughs> because I mean, my mother was clearly the best cook. Yeah, she could have hauled it with her. She was, she was, I mean, you know, we joked. She made the best butterhorns and cooked the best turkey. Uh, I mean, to this day, her meals are still the best Thanksgiving meals I've ever eaten. She kind of passed it off a little early in her life, but, you know, when she was doing it, she did it right. Well, everybody asks why you don't see a small hike camp. It's mom's fault. But, <laughs> but I mean, here's here's the truth. You know, hey, the hey, adults— Joel, why use one— why use one cube of butter when you can use a whole right. stick? I mean, you know, the <laughs> kitchen was uh, obviously the main area. It wasn't a, hey, get out of here, I'm cooking, right? I mean, it really was. And that's where as soon as the, the meal was done and you girls did the dishes, uh, right, and I went out to try to harvest us another turkey, that's when the pinochle started in the kitchen. And remember, yep. remember what it was like when they finally let us kids play pinochle? Well, I I just remember that grandma cheated. Oh, she was a big cheat. Whist was terrible. <laughs> I mean, she was a big, you know, and I told dad one time, because I'm standing there watching. I knew how to play the game, and I'm standing there over her shoulder. And, and after it was all over, I said to dad, I said, dad, grandma cheats. And, and he goes, it doesn't matter. She loses anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I know that, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Thanksgiving dinners and, and what happens during families, you know, who are politically divided. But, you know, my argument is when you go there, put on HGTV, put on the Food Channel. No one can argue about that. And don't talk politics. Don't talk religion. Just talk who's going to cook and what's the best way to cook a turkey. Welcome, Eddie Oliver, the Executive Director of the Federation of Virginia Food Banks. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Just give us an idea of how big is your organization? How many food banks do you serve? The Federation of Virginia Food Banks, we represent all seven regional Feeding America food banks in the Commonwealth. We work with about 1,100 partner agencies across the state. And those are your church pantries, soup kitchens, homeless shelters. Those are all part of our extended network where you reach every single city and locality. We distributed 135 million pounds of food last year and served about 800,000 people. Isn't that incredible? And people, I mean, the thing that I would hear all the time when we were talking about SNAP is no one in America goes hungry. I mean, that, that just really is a thing that you're going through. So what do you say to people who say, really? You know, aren't these people just getting free food when they could pay for it themselves. Yeah, uh, we do hear that far too often. And it's eye-opening. Once you go into these different communities and start to talk to people and really learn how much they struggle to put food on the table, it affects all different types of communities. It's not just an urban problem. It's a suburban problem. It's a rural problem. It affects all races. I mean, it disproportionately impacts communities of color. Uh, of course, because of higher poverty rates, but it, it really can't affect anyone at any time. And so many families today, 
live paycheck to paycheck. And so families are just one crisis, one missed paycheck away from falling into food insecurity. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, when you're thinking about your own household finances, you have to pay your rent or you get evicted. You have to pay your mortgage or you lose your house. You have to make your car payment or you lose your car. Food is the thing that people can skimp on and parents will skip meals to make sure their kids can eat. They'll buy worse food because it's cheaper. And so that is the way that it really comes into people's lives. And it's why it's so pervasive. But you would think in a country and a state as rich in resources as uh, Virginia, we wouldn't have that problem, but it really is uh, far too pervasive. Well, Eddie, the reason why we wanted you on, because Thanksgiving, right? You always see people because Thanksgiving's the eating holiday. Right. People think about food. They think about what food means to culture, what food means to community, what food means to family, right? And, you know, people volunteering at food pantries to distribute food and people putting together boxes of food to deliver. And then it's kind of like, okay, did that. Now we're done. Number one, food insecurity does not begin to end during the holidays. But Talk to me about what percentage of your program happens during the holidays. Yeah, so in just the last two months of the year, I'd say for financial and food donations, we probably get around a third to a half of all of our support just in that two-month period, uh, which makes us very busy. It's a busy time of year at food banks, and that's a great thing. We love the attention. We uh, embrace all the volunteers. Hopefully, when people are coming in, they get a sense of what we do and the extent of the issue. And we want to turn people into recurring supporters. And again, whether that's financial or uh, time that you have to give, we need support all year round. And I appreciate you acknowledging that. Uh, it feels good to give back during the holidays. I totally get that. Uh, it's part of the giving season. But because of all the additional support, sometimes for uh, food insecure families, they actually get more of their needs met during the holidays than they do during the summer, for example, where we see child hunger is a big issue because school is closed and they're not getting school meals. And so people, it's not top of mind for folks during the summer, but that's often the hungriest time of year for families with children. I think people wouldn't realize that, but I know that from the work that we did on the summer hot lunch programs, trying to expand uh, hot lunch in into parks where families could come up and pick up a hot meal. I mean, we take it for granted, so many of us. But I, I, I want to talk about one of my favorite things to talk about, which is gardening. Uh, yes. Um, you know, my husband grows a huge vegetable garden, one that's big enough probably to feed a small town of Manador, North Dakota, <laughs> with enough produce. And we always find that we have too much produce. And he badgers all the neighbors to come harvest and take the produce. And finally, I said, I'm calling the food bank. Because I wonder if they take some cabbage. I wonder if they take kohlrabi. I wonder if they take some of these tomatoes, some of these apples. And lo and behold, they do. And so I know that there's a lot of gardeners who listen, a lot of people who care about um, growing their own food and growing healthy food. What do you think is kind of the national attitude about donations of fresh produce that people grow? We will take good food from anywhere we can get it. I totally embrace if you have uh, more than you can eat in your garden. We had a garden one year and 
uh, produced enough eggplant alone, I think, to feed our entire neighborhood for a year. Um, and so that's what we're all about is we're taking excess produce and we're getting it to people who need it. And so we will absolutely take that off your hands. But, you know, this is part of, we have a larger strategy here of working more with uh, farmers and growers locally in Virginia. We have a Farms to Food Banks initiative and a lot of other food banks have this as well because even on production farms, you know, or we're talking about orders of magnitude, they often have excess product that they don't have a market for, but it costs them something to harvest it. You know, they can't just, if they donate it to a food bank, they're doing that at a loss because they need to pay labor, they need to pay packing, they need to pay freight. And so we've been successful at starting some grant programs and raising funds just to pay those farmers their overhead costs and bring that product in. And we've been really successful. We work with a cabbage farmer in Southwest Virginia. We're getting apples from the Shenandoah Valley. We're getting potatoes and watermelons. And it allows us to get a really good diverse array of product and helping out the farmers and their bottom lines to some extent too. So it's a win-win and we're really excited about the work that's happening across the country on that front. Well, and I think there's there's a, a renewed interest in fresh produce, fresh foods, uh, fruits and vegetables. And, you know, there is nothing like feeling like you've grown something yourself and then, you know, providing it to people who wouldn't otherwise have access. And I know um, what what our folks told us is a lot of the cabbage and the produce that we would send would go to food pantries, not food pantries, but would go to soup kitchens uh-huh and uh, places that prepare food, they, they could cook up cabbage soup or it was a good feeling. And, you know, we obviously financially support the food bank, but somehow that meant a lot more to me than simply writing a check. Does that sound weird? Yeah, no, no, that I, I totally get that. And I think it's a long tradition in our country of giving back and we have such bountiful resources, even if it's just your backyard garden or if it's a farm, I think um, passing along that tangible product is uh, helps you feel good. And you really have to embrace the culture of, of giving and uh, volunteerism. I think that's a huge part of what is going to make our community stronger and maybe help bridge some of these political divides to some degree. But that, that connection that you make when you give something that you produced, I, I totally yeah. agree. It's invaluable. Well, unless it's zucchini. <laughs> so, <laughs> my mother-in-law, God bless her, she's not with us anymore, but uh, at, at our church, St. John's uh, Lutheran Church in, in Jamestown, you could bring your produce and you would put it in the back of the church, and my daughter was with her. And uh, she said, we got to get to church early. And Allie said, well, why, Grandma? And she said, because I've got all this zucchini, I'm going to leave it in the back, but I don't want anyone to know it was me. <laughs> I'm not, I'm I think you probably even. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a zucchini yeah. fan myself, but I know so, I know some people love it. <laughs> well, but we grow a lot of it. The, the, you know, the joke in North Dakota is don't leave your car door unlocked uh, when you go to church because it'll be filled up with zucchini when you come out. <laughs> but, you know, you, it is really, really important work. And, and it is some of the finest people I know um, work in food distribution. And so thank you so much, Eddie for sharing your stories and the important work that you do over this Thanksgiving holiday and uh, with me encouraging people not to just think about food insecurity during the holidays, but think about it every year, all year long. It's very rewarding work. Thanks for having me on. You bet. 
Hey, everybody, you want to talk about jealous? Well, uh, the next guest that we're going to have here on the hot dish is somebody that I'm very jealous of. We're talking about a third generation farmer. That's Robbie Kluver. He is uh, the owner, one of the owners of Dutch Creek Farms outside Northfield, Minnesota. They finish hogs, grow corn and soybeans, and uh, basically they do a little bit of everything. Robbie, good to have you on the hot dish. Yeah, thank you for having me. Okay, here's why I use the word jealous. I don't get to hang out with the president every day. I mean, the president <laughs> yeah. comes to your farm, and next thing you know, you're on the stage saying, hey, look at who I'm hanging with. When I took office, I decided to invest a billion dollars through the American Rescue Plan and small and medium-sized independent meat processing <laughs> to expand the capacity. What was that like? Gosh, it, it was pretty surreal. Um, you know, I, I, a lot of people ask me, how long did you have, you know, with the president? I, probably the overall visit was about two hours and I had probably 15 minutes of face-to-face -face time with the president. That that 15 minutes had also was my, uh, both my folks and my brother. Yeah, it, it was a very unique experience and, and uh, I, I guess I don't get to meet him every day, but I got to meet him once. Folks, look. There's something wrong when just 7% of the American farms get nearly 90%. 7% get 90% of the farm income. And most farmers rely on jobs off the farm to be able to make in men's meat on the farm. I know that President Biden said that uh, th there's a problem when just 7% of the American farms get nearly 90% of the farm incomes. How did that go over with everyone? Well, I mean, that's a tough point for family farms because one of the toughest resources is land. And being a family farm, it's a, it, it's really hard to get your foot in the door, especially with the high land cost prices. That 7% group, they're going to have a lot deeper pockets. So it does make it very challenging for family farms and any smaller farm to compete with the big guys. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, the president's approach. Um you know, you hail from Minnesota, and the president carried Minnesota, but that's one of the few states in the Midwest that he he carried. There's a whole great big flyover area here that makes you assume that uh, the the East Coast politicians don't necessarily care about us. What was your impression about his visit when it came to to you, and it came to whether or not you and your son and others are going to be there years from now? You know. Having them come out and visit and speak to a lot of the points that are really, you know, a big concern, especially for small family farms. I mean, it was nice to get recognized and they were asking us our thoughts on things. What things could they do to better support us in the Midwest and Minnesota? Yeah. And family farms in specific. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, it's really good to hear a president take that approach. And that's one of the reasons I think the world of this president, because I don't think you can fake whether or not you care about somebody. You know, I, I really don't. And so what was your impression of him, uh, Joe Biden himself? You know, I, I he, from when I first met him, a very personable guy. I suppose you have to be in a role like that. Yeah, he, he was just a, a great speaker, really uh, good listener. 
I know the the few times that I that I spoke with him, he was very good at listening, and he was just you know excited to hear uh, you know about our farm and any of the stories and and things. One story uh, about the visit that that kind of sticks with me when we when he first got there, we had the opportunity to do family pictures, so that would be my wife and my two kids and I with the president. And so we, that was the first thing when he got there, we're walking up to the president and, and you know, he, he looks at us and, and my littlest one, Remy, who's five was kind of, you know, running in there. And, and, uh, Mr. Biden says, Oh, what's your name? And, and he goes, well, I'm Remy. And, and Mr. Biden kind of leans over and goes, well, I'm Joe. <laughs> and uh, and I, I thought that was pretty adorable. So that he just, you know, connected with the kid. I mean, how cool is that? I mean, that's a, yep. a memory for a lifetime. So I want to I want to ask you about the the tour itself. More less of these. I mean, do you think it made a difference? Uh, do you think that if farmers could just see them and and hear from them, that some of this ag country wouldn't be so solid red? I like to be very open minded about everything and very receptive to new ideas and things. And it 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 was just it was really good to to get to meet him speak a little bit of my concerns and, you know, have him, you know, reiterate back, you know, some, some of the plans and things that, uh, they were working on. I don't know how easily it would be to change. You know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, conservative folks in the area and I don't know how easy it is to change people's viewpoints, but I mean, it's still good to share with them the opportunities and things. Well, I can tell you this. You're not going to change anybody unless you meet them. Uh, and obviously, <laughs> yeah, that is true. <laughs> I've taken That's... enough of your time. I want to make sure you yeah. say thanks to you and your family and your wife and everybody else. But uh, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? Well, we're having my my wife, her uh, sister's family over. And so a little good old fashioned uh, get together for Thanksgiving uh, at our place on the farm and Okay, uh, I don't know the answer to this. I could be setting myself up uh, really bad, right? Vikings fan? Yes. Oh, thank yep. God. <laughs> well, Robbie, great talk. I know you're busy, and yet you still took time to be on the hot dish. I appreciate it, man. Thanks. Yeah, likewise. Well, thank you very much. And that's our show. We end with some sound from our fabulous board members and what they're grateful for when they join their families for Thanksgiving. I'm thankful for health, strength, and the love from all of my family members. That's Anthony Daniels, House Minority Leader in the Alabama State House and newly candidate for the United States Congress. You know, this is an exciting time of year because it, it brings all of the family members together in one place for a full week. We get a chance to uh, talk about and reminisce about old times. We get an opportunity to, to eat and watch football. Uh, my favorite team is the Dallas Cowboys, so we get a chance to brag and, and talk about the college football season. Up seven yards on the play. That'll bring up second down and, and so it's a really good time where you get a chance to spend time with family members that you only really see once a year, but when you do see them, it, you feel the love and the, the, and the support. And so that's, the, that's my most favorite time of the year. 
Hello, this is Ashton Clemens, State Representative in North Carolina. I'm happy to be joining the Hot Dish episode on things I'm thankful for. I have to say, I'm just leaving my children's elementary school, and I am thankful this year, as always, but even more so this year for our public school teachers. When you go into school and you see our teachers putting their best foot forward and doing the best that they can for our children, there's no way to not feel immense gratitude for all of our teachers who are doing the best they can every day for our children. So thank you to teachers here in Greensboro and in North Carolina and across our country. That is certainly something I'm thankful for this year. Next up is J.D. Shulkin. To me, it's all about family. You know, my family has supported me all along the way, and I'm forever grateful. Uh, but this time of year, I get a little bit sad because the, the one person who made it all super special was my grandmother, Grandma Fern. She's a huge part of actually how I got into politics. I wouldn't say that she was super political, but she was the one who told me I needed to move back to Iowa and take care of our farm. And that ultimately led me to run for Congress and get more active. She just was such a special lady. She was a fifth grade teacher. Um, she made just going to the farm, visiting her, and just made everyone feel like they were the most important person. And so, miss her dearly. As for a holiday tradition, Thanksgiving every year, uh, we tend to go to the local bowling alley. And I think that's the only time any of us bowl all year, but we have a good time. And so it's one of the things I'm really looking forward to stuffing myself with a lot of great food and then heading to the bowling alley and uh, try to improve on last year's score. And finally, Sarah Godlewski, uh, Wisconsin Secretary of State. Hello, everyone. With the holidays right around the corner, I will tell you, I am just grateful to go back to my hometown of Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and spend it with my family. We all live across the state and even in different parts of the country. And for us to all come together to celebrate is something that I am truly grateful for. And I will be bringing my favorite special recipe, green bean casserole. And as the Wisconsin gal, of course, that will include a lot of delicious Wisconsin cheddar. I wish everyone an incredible holiday and just grateful for all the work that folks are doing across this country to make America a great place to live, work, and raise a family. I am so grateful to all of our board at the One Country Project and to all of our listeners. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. We have so much in this country to be grateful for and so much more work to do to make sure that everybody has a wonderful Thanksgiving. We'll see you in two weeks.